Well, welcome. My name is John Trapp, one of the pastors here at Christ the King. That was Andres Elia leading us through our liturgy. Uh, so glad to have all of you here. Uh, see, I see more dads here than usual in the second service. I wonder if that's maybe because of the uh, women's retreat that's been going on. And um, that's, maybe your head didn't pop off the pillow the same way this morning as it usually does with all of, uh, all of our wives gone. But we're excited about having them back. There's about 100 of our women who are uh, in transit back right now. Um, just want to say welcome. Glad to have you here. We're continuing our study through the book of John. If you want to grab one of those black Bibles in the pew in front of you, we'll be in John chapter 8. That's on page 894. Um, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that Bible home with you as a gift from us. We're glad for you to have that. Um, we're going to be in page 894, picking up where we left off last week um, at John 8 verse 31. I do want to point out to you though, just so you get a little bit of context of where we are. Verse 30, Jesus has just taught these people a lot of things. And it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus is now going to, he's going to address the people who've, who have said they believe in him. That's key for, for where we're going. So hear now these words from John chapter eight. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and yet you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works of your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. 
If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Says the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks that you have given us your word uh, so that we might know more of who you are. And we thank you that you've given us your word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we study your word now, that, the, that your spirit would help enliven and enlighten our hearts and our minds to see Christ and our need for him. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's sermon is entitled, Sons or Slaves? And I want to start by reading to you uh, from a 17th century Puritan theologian named John Owen. And he says this, The most difficult thing to convince a non-believer of is that they are under the dominion of sin. The most difficult thing to convince a believer is that they're not Today I'm praying that God is going to do these two most difficult things. That he's going to convince those who are under the dominion of sin that they are and that he will also convince and remind Christians in the room that they are no longer under the dominion of sin. Today I want you to hear if you're a Christian, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And if you don't yet believe in Jesus, I want you to hear that that is an invitation so the question is, are, are you a son or a slave? And in this passage, I think we see that you can call yourself a son and live like a slave. Uh, I, I saw an interview, uh, actually an interview and then, and then later a speech of a Hall of Fame NFL quarterback. And it was the year he was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. So there was a lot of interviews of him kind of popping up on social media and on TV. And in one of the interviews, I saw him talking about his father. His father was his high school football coach. And he played, he was the starting quarterback. And the quarterback said this, my dad may have told others I'm proud of that boy, but he never told me I'm proud of you. I remember thinking a good job would be nice to hear sometimes. There might be 70 good plays and one bad one, and he would bring the bad one to light. So that was one interview I heard of him. And then his hall, in his Hall of Fame speech, he began talking about his father again. And his father had actually passed away earlier that year. And he said this during his speech in Canton, Ohio, with all the NFL greats gathered around him. He said, when I was in high school, I overheard my father talking to three other coaches and I hadn't played well the other week. And my father said this, I can assure you something about my son. He will play better. He will redeem himself because he has it in him. And the quarterback said this, I thought to myself, it's a pretty good compliment. Again, I never told anyone, but I never forgot that statement. And then he began to weep. And he said, and I want you to know, Dad, that I spent the rest of my career trying to redeem myself. 
I spent the rest of my career trying to redeem myself and make you proud, and I hope I succeeded. Do you hear the tragedy in that? The tragedy in not knowing if you have succeeded in redeeming yourself in the sight of your father. To not know if the work has been complete. That is a tragic kind of bondage where you may call yourself a son but live like a slave. So two points this morning. The bondage of a slave, the freedom of a son. Well, as I pointed out when we, when we began this uh, reading, Jesus is, is talking with these people in the context of a lot of people who've just said that they believe in him. That they believe the words that he's saying, the word that he said that he is the light of the world. And that anyone who would come to him would have eternal life. So Jesus looks at these people who've said that they believed in him and he's honest, he's frankly just not satisfied with it because he knows what's in their heart. And he just kind of puts his finger right on it in verse 31. And he says, he says this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Abiding in Jesus's word is what a true disciple does. And what Jesus knows is that there is a difference. What he's getting at, there is a difference between professing faith in Jesus and possessing faith in Jesus. These people are professing faith in Jesus. We believe in you. We believe that you say that, that what you say is true. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they possess faith in him. You can say that you are a believer in Jesus and not believe. And I, there's a number of times that, I, that I've been talking to someone and asked them about their faith. And the, the first thing that they begin to describe when they talk about their faith is when they came to faith or when they professed their faith in Jesus. Maybe they walked an aisle or they rang a bell at a camp or they went through a confirmation class in their church. And there's a sense, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, by the way. But there is a sense in which we can begin looking to a date on a calendar sometime in our lives and looking to that as proof that we're a Christian. Some date when we profess that we had faith and that makes me a Christian. Friends, professing faith in Jesus is a good thing, but it does not mean that you possess faith in Jesus. And that is, why, that is why he's pressing on these people who are gathered around him in John chapter 8. Jesus tells other stories about this to illustrate this in other parts of the Gospels. There's the famous parable he tells, a story he tells about a, a sower who goes out and casts seeds. And he describes these four different kinds of land that the seed lands on. And later the disciples say, hey, can you explain that to us? What were you talking about? these different kinds of soil. And Jesus, he says, okay, well, the, the seed that land on the rocky soil, this is, this is what that's like. He says this. Um, the seed that landed on the rocky soil, Matthew 13, 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. They respond to the word that Jesus has preached. They receive it with joy, yet has no root in himself, 
but endures for a while. And when tribulations or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Did you hear why they fall away? When trials and tribulations come upon somebody because of the word of Jesus, they fall away because they're not rooted in and abiding in the word of Christ. So Jesus looks at these people in verse 31 and says, if you want to truly be my disciple, you can't, don't just profess faith, you must possess faith and abide in my word. To abide means to remain, to remain in his word. It's from the Greek word meno, we hear the word remain, where we get remain in that, to remain in his word to be rooted in his word, to come back to his word over and over again, to patiently trust his word, to abide in it. And Jesus is about to tell them a bunch of things that they may not like. And so they're going to have to decide whether to trust themselves or to trust Jesus at his word. And Jesus starts by telling them that they're in bondage and they don't like that message. Verse 33, they respond, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Which, by the way, not exactly the most accurate biblical history that they're recounting. Israel was enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. They were enslaved to the Babylonians. They were enslaved a lot of times in the book of Judges when they lost battles. They were enslaved. They were actually under the thumb of Rome as they're saying this. But that's not even the kind of enslavement that Jesus is talking about. He doubles down on it in verse 34 and he says, truly, truly, he's emphasizing this, like, listen to me. Truly, truly, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And and, and you may hear that and think, well, (laughs) I'm free to do whatever I want to do. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm, I'm... I'm free to do and to choose whatever I want to do. And in some senses, that's true. But what the scriptures teach and what Jesus is teaching is that our wills have been bent towards sin. Our desires have been bent towards choosing sin. The way that um, St. Augustine of Hippo, who was an African pastor, theologian in the early church, he described this with the Latin phrase, incurvitus in se. That's how he described our sin. In say, meaning onto the self, in curvitus, curved in. Our sin makes us curved in on ourselves so that we think about ourselves all the time. Our desires have been bent towards seeking our own glory and our own wants and our own desires. And this can particularly express itself in a religious person, which I think is what's happening in John 8, and that's what Jesus is pressing on. That we can become, even even as we show up and we go to church and we do all these things, we can be doing all of that stuff, all kinds of Christian activity, professing faith in Jesus even, all kinds of Christian activity ultimately for ourselves and trusting that our own actions and our own deeds are what's going to get the Father's smile. Jesus tells a story about this, about a son who was acting, who, who became like a slave, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. And when I first, when I first really heard this parable, it kind of undid me. And, and maybe, maybe you're familiar with it. There's the really familiar first half of the parable, 
which is about this younger brother who is curved in on himself. He wants, he wants to take his father's share of the inheritance. He goes and he spends it all. And then he finds after he's done that, after he's lived by the word that the world would have for him to live, do whatever you want, he does that. And as he abides in that, where does he find himself? He finds himself in a pig pen feeding pigs like a slave with like not getting enough money to even feed himself. He finds himself in bondage. And that prodigal son famously returns to the father. And the father sees him, he welcomes him in, and he throws a party for him. And that's where I thought the story ended. Spoiler alert, it doesn't. Jesus went on. And it really, like the story should be called the prodigal sons or the lost sons, not the prodigal son, because there's a second boy and it's the older brother. And it's the older brother who's out in the field and he's angry about the party being thrown for his younger brother. He's angry that the father is doing something gracious to the, to the younger brother because he's been working all of his life. He's been doing all the right things. And listen to what he says. The older brother became angry and refused to go into the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Just think about what is Jesus trying to teach us with this story? The father goes out and pleads with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Curved it on the self. You hear it? You never gave me what I wanted so that I could take it and celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He's been keeping score on what the younger brother has done, by the way. You see that? That's what happens when we have an elder brother posture. We begin looking around seeing what everyone else has done. He knows what that younger brother's been doing with the money. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The elder brother, the elder brother would say that he's a son, but how has he been living? He's been living like a slave. He even says it himself. I've been slaving for you all these years. Friends, what about you? What about you even this morning as you show up? How do you, think, how do you think that the Lord regards you? And on what basis do you think he regards you? Do you have the Father's smile because you've been doing pretty well lately? Because you've been obeying a little bit more, you haven't been struggling as much with what you typically struggle with because you've been starting to come to church again. Is that why you have the Father's smile? Do you hear what the Father says to the older brother here? He's inviting him to abide in his words. The older brother has got his arms crossed and he's mad that he doesn't have a goat to celebrate with his friends. And the father says, everything I have is yours. What if, we, what if he abided in that? How might that change his posture of slave-like labor for his father? How might that change his identity as knowing that he is a delighted son? But instead, he's in bondage. He's in bondage to the sin of his own self-righteousness. And that's what Jesus sees in these people who are saying that they believe in him. He's saying, listen, 
You have to abide in my word. But in verse 37, he says, my my word finds no place in you. Has Jesus' word found its place in you? Because when it has, we actually stop living by the word of the devil. He begins talking about the devil, who he says is a liar. And the devil's words seek to enslave us. And ultimately, he says he's also a murderer. They seek to destroy you. He wants to enslave and destroy you. So what words, what word are you living by? Are you living by the word of Jesus that we have eternal life because of what he's done on our behalf? Or are you living by all the different messages that we have from all the corners of the world that are telling us this is what a good life looks like? Do do you find yourself sometimes abiding in those messages? Like if, if I can just, if I can just get that promotion and grind it out, then I'll be okay. Or if we can, if, if, if my kids can just get into that school, or if we, if we can just kind of grit our teeth and put our heads down and do the crazy busy schedule because we need to do all this stuff because we've got to keep up, then we'll be okay. Friends, we will hold out to our children and to our loved ones what we think will give them life and tell them to abide in it. By your actions, what are you not professing but possessing faith in? What has your faith that, that, that this is going to be what it was going to bring you life? You see, Jesus, Jesus is shaking these self-righteous religious people, not because he's he hates them. Actually, some of them are going to end up following him. One of them's name is Nicodemus. But he's shaking them because he wants them to know that to abide in any other's word aside from his is going to lead them to bondage and to death. And so he is inviting them to listen to his word. And, and because we're talking about fathers right now, I just want to just little bonus comment. I really want to encourage the fathers in this room. And I want to ask you, whose words are you encouraging your kids to abide in? I'll tell you, I was a campus minister for seven years at the University of Texas. I was a youth pastor here for a long time too. But one of the things that I noticed is particularly when I was at the University of Texas and got to know kids, many of them weren't from a church background. Some of them were though. As I got to know them and asked them about their families and they described the dynamic of their parents, many of them, if I asked them about their mothers, they would describe their mothers as some sort of spiritual influence in their life. Almost none of them described their fathers that way. And I don't stand up here to, to say that that's all of you and to accuse you. What I do want to do is to encourage you fathers what are you holding out to your children to abide in? Because you, you love your kids. But, but if, you think that, if you think that what is your kids' hope is in is in their careers, then what you're gonna be holding out to them and circling back with them on and hounding them about is probably gonna be their academics, their summer internships, and their job interviews. So what do you find yourself hounding your kids about? What do you find yourself circling back on? that's probably the thing that you abide in. And Jesus is inviting you to see that 
that that, that any other word aside from his, if we would abide in it, it will actually bring on bondage and slavery. And you feel that, you know that. You know what it's like to sit under the bondage of a career that you're trying to use to justify yourself and your existence and how unsatisfying that is. What it's like to sit under the bondage of perfect parenting. Good luck if you're gonna try to get like some validation out of that, right? Feels like bondage, doesn't it? Jesus is inviting us to hear his word. When Jesus' word has found its place in you, when you abide in his word, you actually begin to enjoy the life of a son, the freedom of a son. That's my last point. Think about the words that Jesus has been saying up until this point in the book of John. We've been going through the book of John. He's inviting them to abide in his word. I just want to remind you some of the things that Jesus has said so far. John 4, 34, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of my father who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is saying, I want you to abide in my word that I have come to finish the work that God has set before me. I'm gonna finish it. Listen to more of what that work is. John 5, 24. Whoever hears my word and believes my father who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That's the word that Jesus is inviting us to abide in, that he has come to do the work of his father, that any who would believe in him would have eternal life and not be judged. John 6, 39, this is the will of my father, that I shall lose none of all he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. What an incredible word to abide in. That if you have put your faith in Jesus, that he will not lose you. He says, I will lose none of those that God has given me. I will finish the good work that I started in them. Jesus is inviting us to believe that this is the love of the Father for us. What if we could abide in this kind of fatherly love that God has for us? It would change us. Jesus, all all the time in this passage and throughout the book of John, he's pointing back to the Father, to the Father, to the Father. He wants us to know the love and the, the delight of the Father. John Owen writes, similarly, you can tell I've been reading some John Owen lately. All right, so you're gonna get some John Owen quotes. Sorry, not sorry. Here we go. John Owen writes this in communion with God. First then, this is a duty wherein it is most evident that Christians are but little exercised. In other words, we don't get this. Christians, we don't, we don't exercise this, we don't practice this, we lose this a lot. Namely, in holding immediate communion with the Father in love. We don't think of God, the Father, as a loving Father, he's saying. We hearken not to the voice of the Spirit which is given unto us, quote, that we may know the things that are freely bestowed on us by God, 1 Corinthians 2. And this makes us go heavily when we might rejoice and to be weak where we might be strong in the Lord. How few of the saints are experimentally acquainted with this privilege of holding immediate communion with the Father in love. With what anxious, doubtful thoughts do they look upon the Father? Ever felt that? Anxious, doubtful thoughts looking upon the Father. 
what fears, what questionings are there of his goodwill and kindness. At the best, many think there is no sweetness at all in him toward us, but what, what is purchased at the high price of the blood of Jesus. And it is true. That alone is the way of communication. But the free fountain and spring of all is in the bosom of the Father. Eternal life was with the Father and is manifested unto us, 1 John 1. Let us then, I the Father as love. Look at him. Look not on him as an always lowering father, but as one most kind and tender. Let us look on him by faith as one that has had thoughts. I love this. Let us look on him by faith as one that has had thoughts of kindness toward us from everlasting. From the beginning of time, God has looked upon you with thoughts of kindness and love and tenderness. This is the Father. Do you know what? This is, as Jesus says, the kind of truth that will set you free. In verse 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. What if you don't experience that kind of freedom? But if you're a Christian, you're like, you know what? I still feel like I'm under the dominion of sin. I still do stuff that I don't want to do all the time. First off, join the club, right? Paul talks about that in Romans 7. I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I, I, I do want to do. But this is, this is an important theological concept I want you to get, okay? When, when, you, when a Christian is forgiven, when a Christian becomes a believer, when they become a Christian, are you a forgiven old you or a forgiven new you? The Bible tells us that when you become a Christian, you became a forgiven new you. You are a new creation. That in fact, what once held you in bondage, even though you may still feel that bondage, it's not true of you anymore. You're a new you. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. You hear that? The old self, our, the old you died with Jesus. It's, it's, it's been paid for. He took the old you to the grave and he left it there so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You're no longer in bondage to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe, what else did Jesus do? He rose again. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. If the son has set you free, you are free indeed. And you know what? Believing that can be the beginning by which we began to experience freedom from the bondage of our sin. The sin that the accuser is gonna hold out to you over and over again and say, uh-uh, he can't love you because you're still struggling with that. You can now look back to that and say, no, the truth has set me free, not my obedience. Jesus' obedience on my behalf is what set me free, not my own. So that no longer defines me, he does. All right, I want you, I'm not gonna teach a second sermon here, okay, I promise, but grab your Bibles and turn to page 875. Grab the black Bibles. 
I want I, I'd never seen this before until this week as I was thinking about this and thinking about the prodigal son. When you look at verse 19, actually we'll start in verse 18 of, of, of Luke 15, page 875. This is the speech that the prodigal son plans on giving to his dad when he goes back, okay? Here's the speech he's gonna give. He says, I will arise, he's in bondage right now. I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. What's his plan? Jesus is telling the story. He's illustrating the father's love here. His plan is he's gonna go back. He's gonna say, look, I know I shouldn't even be your son, but just treat me like I'm in bondage to you. Okay, so now he, he rose, verse 20, and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And here comes the speech. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Uh, and he gets cut off. His speech, the father hears the repentance. He hears the return. He hears the son admitting his guilt and that he's no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father says to the servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What would the father not let come out of the mouth of his returning son? Let me be your slave. He won't hear it because he's his son. And so he's inviting him to abide in his word. To abide in his word that he is this good and that he loves his boy this much and that he's welcoming him into the party. That's God. That's the father's love for you. That's the father's love for any who would come and abide in his word who would not think of themselves as a slave earning his affection, but would look to the father in repentance and say, help me. And he has sent his help. His help who stands in the midst of these people, these people who are insulting him. When they say, our fathers, we're not from sexual immorality. Do you know what they're probably hinting at? That, that Jesus was born from a woman who didn't have a husband. They're stabbing him and poking him with their words. And Jesus looks at them and he says, before Abraham was. They're like, how do you, you're not, you're not even 50 years old. You talk about Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. He's saying the I am. The, the great I am, Yahweh, is in your midst. It's the name of God that God gives to his people in the book of Exodus, I am. He's saying, I am is here. Abide in my word. And they wanna kill him. They don't wanna abide in his word. And Jesus goes to the cross for people like that. He goes to the cross for people like Nicodemus who later is seen burying the body of Jesus. He goes to the cross for people who reject him, who revile him, and he displays his grace to them. What word are you abiding in? What message does your life reveal that you believe? Sinclair Ferguson says, this, this one got me, you ready for this? 
you are to others exactly what you believe God has been to you. If you believe that God has poured out his grace upon you, you will become a gracious person to others. It's why Jesus says things like, blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. If you believe that you've been shown great mercy, you will become a merciful person. It's why Jesus tells us to pray things like, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You will become a forgiving person when you believe that you have been radically forgiven by God. So how does the way that you treat others, that you treat the least of these whom Jesus says he identifies with, whatever you do to the least of these, you do also to me. How, do you, how does the way that you treat them and the way that you treat your spouse and the way that you treat your parents and the way that you treat your siblings and your friends and your coworkers, how does that reveal what word you actually are abiding in? Because you will do unto others what you believe God has done to you. There's grace. There is grace offered to you from the Father because he loves sinners like you and me. And he has sent his son to rescue and to redeem us. And by abiding in his word, by grace through faith, we become his children. Behold what manner of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Amen, let's pray. Father, we do give you um, thanks and glory for the provision that you have given to us through your son. We ask that you would help us to look to him in faith and help us to leave here with joy. Joy knowing that because of his finished work, you smile over sinners like us. And I pray that anyone who doesn't yet believe in you would leave here with joy, believing and abiding in your word because of what you have done. Lord, we ask that you would do this work that only your spirit can do. And so we pray that you would fall fresh on us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.